Well, for those that can remember, bring back memories being in here. We spent a year. First of all, let me say thank you for all of you who helped with the setup of what we were trying to do there. I'm sure you've found out that there's uh, work going on in the sanctuary uh, up above by the windows that should be done this week. And so we will return um, the good thing about this, you can't hear my shoes clicking on the stage when I walk up here. <laughs> it's not that I don't use my Bible. I have all my scriptures on paper, so I've got to lay this aside somewhere. <laughs> I have uh, been coming toward this part for a while, and by that I mean... Um, I'm going to be treating this more, uh, and I'm really comfortable in this format, when I speak more of a, or as a lecture, uh, more as an, a, uh, something that gives information. You know, I've, I've been asked over the years, uh, at different times, uh, did you preach someone into hell, or are you going to? And, no, I'm never going to do that because I find, or and I think we'll see this morning, that uh, Jesus never preached anyone into hell, per se. He just simply revealed some things about it. And so this morning, I'm going to do some things a little different. First of all, my text reading that we'll be looking at will be at the very last that will be the last thing we deal with, is my text, which is a very familiar story or account that Jesus used um, about the rich man and Lazarus. So uh, that'll be at the end. But I found it necessary to uh, plow some ground first in order that we can appreciate and I think have a better understanding of, of the... Um, I'm going to say the reality of hell as Jesus himself spoke about it. I, I think that for the most part, we are always going to be confronted with various subjects and things. We're always going to be confronted with, do we believe what Jesus said about certain things? Uh, do we believe it? If we, if we believe the Lord, then belief in something like hell and or heaven is not that difficult, though we may not have all the answers. Uh, we may have some gray areas about it, which I think we all do. But nonetheless, if we believe, if we believe Jesus Christ and his words, then we're, we're, we're steps closer to getting to the truth. Now, the other side of that is if we don't believe in Jesus Christ or we don't believe his words, well, of course, we're not going to believe what he has to say about hell uh, or, for that matter, heaven. But I found that most people are pretty selective. They, believe, they like to believe certain things that Jesus said, such as heaven or paradise, which we'll cover next week. Uh, but let's skip hell. You know, or uh, I like forgiveness, but let's let's don't talk about God's wrath. 
we have to take, that's why I believe going to primary source, go to the words of the Lord, because that is the springboard for even why we're here. Victories in Jesus has been my, my umbrella, and, and, the, and this morning it's victories in Jesus in that he has given us words about hell. So let's go through just a little bit of uh, history. It will take a bit. I won't keep you long in these seats. Um, the idea of hell is not very palatable today in our culture. Now, for centuries, by palatable, I, I mean it's very uncomfortable for people. They, 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 don't, they don't know how to process how can a good, quote, loving God provide a hell. Well, that, that can be better understood in this way. How is it that we, when we are innocent young children, continually make choices in our life until we look up as an adult and find ourselves in a living hell? And if we can do it, then God has set forth a system of justice or what we call, what I call, moral compass. Uh, hell today has a very, very skewed, it comes from a very skewed view of consequences. In other words, we live in a culture that has a very skewed view of cause and effect or, or consequences. I read something very disturbing. You probably read this, this last week. Two, two teenagers were driving, uh, and they decided to run down a retired uh, police officer and killed him. Uh, and they had it, of course, uh, they were recording it and everything. And one of them, the driver, said when the police got to him, he, they, they, he told him, he said, I, I'll, I'll be out in 18 hours. Has no concept of that I've done X and therefore I'm going to suffer Y. But that's not been his, history. History has always had this sense of justness or consequence or that we are culpable, uh, we, are, we are responsible for our actions. Um, and even today, in our everyday life, we demand the very thing that we kind of blame God for. We demand justice. In other words, if someone comes and breaks into your house and takes things, you call the police and you're hopeful that they will find the perpetrators and you demand expect, look for some sort of justice that's going to take care of things. Now, we do that in our everyday life. Uh, if someone breaks the law, we expect that there's going to be a, a fair and an equitable judgment. But when it comes to the idea of hell, we're a little skittish about it, and yet we should not be because, again, uh, hell is not the uh, end result of God's uh, desire. In fact, God does not wish anyone to be condemned, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior, which I will conclude with that, to keep us from that final destination. So uh, let's begin. First of all, in the Old Testament, in the Old Ancient, and, and, and not only Jews, but in the Greeks and the Vikings, and every, everyone had a concept of, of uh, death and the grave and what it was. Um, Valkyrie was in the Vikings. Uh, 
Valhalla was the place, the great hall, where if you were a great warrior, you would be there. If not, you could not enter in. Uh, the Greeks, you know, you had Hades, the grave. Uh, you, you had across the river of death. Uh, in Christianity, we, we talk about the crossing the river Jordan. Everyone, all of humanity, has always had a history of, of that there is something past this life. We're not for sure exactly what it is, but we've always felt that there is something, something more. Only recently have we gone into uh, what they call nihilism or annihilation, where if you die, that's that. That, that actually kind of cuts against human nature. Our, our nature is such that we believe, we hope, we look for, we try to understand that there is something after that. Jesus, in his words, gives us insight, reveals, explains what is it, what's there after our last breath here. It's two-sided coin. The one side I'm looking at this morning is hell. Now, in the Old Testament, shale. In shale, a lot of times in the, in your, in the Bible, it'll say hell. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it says grave, but that's in the Old Testament mainly what that word meant because there was not a lot known uh, what was in the unknown. In fact, Sheol was a place for all the dead people, both righteous and unrighteous. And, uh, you know, when you read through, uh, for instance, in Job or you read the Psalms, uh, you, you read a phrase like, you know, God will not leave my soul in hell. Well, that word translates Sheol mean in the grave which turns out that he does not. He, God will not leave us in the grave if we have our faith in him. So it's a place historically that has been for both the good and the bad. But then there was a change, um, and the change came in the New Testament, and I believe it came directly and distinctly because of the revelation or the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because he began to use um, the idea of the grave in a little different way. It used to be in the ancient world that it was just the place of the dead. And what was there we did not know. But it was Jesus who began to explain, yes, it is a place of the dead. But in that place of the dead, there are both the good and the evil. And that's why we'll get to that eventually. That word in your Bible, most of the Bibles, King James, is called hell. Now, in that word, um, that word is, is actually known as Gehenna, which is a little different. Now, let me give you three examples of where Jesus, in the New Testament, in his words, in his teachings, he uses the word hell, but he means the grave. Uh, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said... Um, Capernaum and, 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 you know, this different city. You are exalted to heaven, but you will soon be brought down to, I think in your Bible it will say hell. But it translates Hades, means you're going to ultimately be brought down to the grave. In other words, you're high and mighty, but you're not going to last forever. That's one example. Uh, another one we just covered was when he was speaking to Peter, when he asked the question, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist or 
Jeremiah, one of the but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what Jesus said to him was, and you, I say, are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That word, again, is Hades. It, it means the grave. And as I explained a few weeks ago, death will never catch the church. It's not going, the church will never die, all right? So these are a few examples. But then he has some other passages where he uses a distinctly different word. When we, we have hell in our English language, but it, it's a different word of the Greek. It's the word Gehenna or Gena. And I'd like to give a little history about that because I had the, I had the fortunate opportunity to observe at least the modern day Gehenna. Outside of Jerusalem, even the modern city and outside the old city, there is, a, there is a valley. In the valley, it's called ancient, the ancient title is the Valley of Hinnom. And it was a place where originally, back in the Old Testament, King Ahaz, when he decided to start serving other gods, he was a king of Israel, he started, he started worshiping a false god called Moloch. And in that worship, they would sacrifice children, burn their children. King Josiah, then after he came on and he believed in God, he then named that valley an accursed valley forever because they had done children's sacrifice and and it was all kinds of things. And so in the minds of people of of Israel, that place was a bad, bad place. In 1980, 82, 83, when I was over there, it still was there. Now, what it had turned into was the city dump. It was where anything and everything that was useless was thrown into it. And it became a public incinerator. And and, and in fact, the smell, the stench was unbelievable. Now, you wouldn't catch it all the time, but when the wind would change and come from the west across the Mediterranean and come up and hit, occasionally, wherever I was, was on on the east side, you'd get that stench, and that stench was always there. And the stench was there because the smoke was carrying it, and the smoke was there because there was a constant burning of trash and all kinds of things. And in that valley, the Valley of Hinnom, you had, of course, as we can even find in our own dumps, all manner of nasty stuff, food and things, dead animals. When you have that, you have maggots. So you had all kinds of things that was still in existence. Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, when Jesus then uses these words, means something distinctly different than just the grave. He talks about something very distinctly, and that's why I wanted to look at exactly how he uses that. And again, we're confronted with, do we believe that or not? Um, Matthew 5, very early on in his ministry, he says, if you're angry with your brother... For no reason, and if you're not careful, you will be in danger of Gehenna fire. He didn't say Hades. 
He said, Gehenna fire. That valley was in play right then. And so when he would teach that, people's minds immediately went from what he just said and they saw the valley and they think, well, what does he mean by, by that? Another, another one was he was getting on to the Pharisees and chastising them because they were uh, disingenuous, they were hypocrites, they were, they were leading people to Phariseeism rather than to God. And what Jesus said to you, he says, you make people more uh, the child of hell, Gehenna, than yourselves. Again, he used that word, not Hades, not the grave, but Gehenna, the place where there is that fire and that stench, that's what you're doing. He also says the same thing later on to them. He says, um, you serpents and generation of vipers, uh, how can you escape the damnation of hell? That word damnation is a judgment of hell. How can you escape the judgment of Gehenna? So, so far, we're reading very early on in the ministry and his teachings, Gehenna, a burning place, was very, very real. Now, is it like we imagine? I have no idea. All I know is, is what I saw and what I experienced was nothing good about it. Not one thing. In fact, that's one place. Best way to stop uh, what they call uh, building spread, you know, you know, Build houses next to a dump and they won't sell. People don't want to be around it. Total separation because you can't escape that, all right? He continues in his teaching and he says, you know, if your right hand or your eye or your foot offends you, you know, remove it. It's be he says it's better to go maimed rather, as he says, than to uh, have two eyes or two hands or two feet and end up in Gehenna. And then he adds something. Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, he was not making up something. In my mind, as he was teaching there in Jerusalem or he was there on Mount Olivet, it was an easy look when he would, when he would be teaching and he would point to that valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. You don't want to end up there. Whatever it is, you don't want to end up there. That was a fact of the matter for Jesus Christ. And let's remember what he said. He said, I did not come to destroy men's lives. Jesus said, I came to save them. From what? Condemnation. Judgment. In the name and in the place of Gehenna. That was his allegory and that was his usage. He gave a parable that I think, uh, and I'll use uh, this parable. He gave a parable in teaching one day that he was even more specific about this particular word, Gehenna. He says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but men slept, the enemy came, sowed tares among the wheat, and then he went his way. But when the blade or the wheat came up and fruit was ready, there also appeared tares or weeds. Now the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, I thought we sowed good seed. And he said unto them, Well, the enemy has come and sown the weeds. When the servants said to him, Well, should we go gather them up? And he said, No, 
If you gather up the tares at the, at the same time, the wheat will, will be destroyed. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, and then gather the wheat into my barn. He gave another parable, and then later when the disciples were with him, they came up to him and said, could you please explain that parable about the tares to us? And Jesus said, certainly, I will. Here's what he said. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of God's kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of time, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, now as you want to come to a conclusion, using this word, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Now here I'm confronted with a, um, a question. Am I going to believe what he just said about that? Am I going to believe that there really is, like at the end of the world, a burning? I mean, am I going to believe that? Why can't I believe just the good things of Jesus Christ? It's a lot easier. He then says, So it will be at the end of this age, the Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So here now we're, we're getting, uh, uh, to me, a, a little more of a, an insightful understanding of, of hell as Jesus talked about it more than just the grave but it is hell you see and and this idea of fire is that seems to be what um actually that seems to be what is so uh, offensive to people is that fire or the burning of hell or a lake of brimstone that seems to be so offensive that god would do that however throughout the human history we have trusted fire to help us with all kinds of things. Um, early on, this is not a new concept. In fact, in the Old Testament, Isaiah believed, prophet Isaiah believed that God would use fire uh, to rectify injustices in the world. Here's what he said. It is the day of the Lord's vengeance all streams shall be turned to pitch, dust to brimstone. It shall become, a, uh, become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. Prophet Malachi said this, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says, says the Lord of hosts. John the Baptist believed it. When he was preaching and he was talking about Jesus Christ, 
He said, the fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather wheat in the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Are they mistaken also? I mean, you're talking about several centuries of people, of scholars, prophets, different ones who believed in that. And by the way, Christianity is not the only religion that believes in the fire of the afterlife. It's just that I'm not going to speak for the uh, I'm not going to speak for the others. Ask me questions later, and I'll talk about it. But for us today, I, I'm interested in what Jesus Christ had to say Himself. Writer of Hebrews says this about the Christian life. You know, be fruitful, multiply. But he said, but if our lives bear thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned by fire. In other words, to be cursed is to be burned by fire. Writer, uh, Jude said the same thing. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to immorality, uh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, th th that again leads me to a question. Is, is physical fire different than eternal fire? Uh, more than just temporal, more than just time. It could be, but as we'll see in a little bit, I think it is. Even the angels in heaven, according to John, the revelator, at the end of his life, he records what he saw in Revelation chapter 14, and, he, and it says, an angel came and said with a loud voice, if anyone worships anyone, he was talking about the beast and someone who professes to be Christ. If anyone does, he says... He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment ascends forever. They will have no rest day or night. So, so far, the Bible does not treat the idea of hell, Gehenna, hell, as just allegory. There seems to be something more substantive than just that. You see, if it was just an allegory, we would have the license or the right to change it today. In other words, uh, we could change it according to our language or things, but the Bible, the Scriptures don't treat justice as a slide rule. It is what it is. And throughout the Scriptures, we find that it was not only taught but wholly believed in. So now, now I come to my text, which here's the deal. Today, my text is at the end, so I'm getting close to getting to the end. The story, he doesn't say it's a parable. He says it's a story. I find that interesting because the Scriptures will always say Jesus then told a parable. But in this one, he doesn't say a parable. It's just a story. He says, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in 
torments. In your Bible is going to say hell. What that word there is, the grave. Being in torments, in the grave. The rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, here's something very significant that I'm going to close with, but, I'm, but it's going to take me a few sub-stack sub, sub points. First of all, the fact that he saw Abraham and he called Abraham by name tells me something about the rich man. He knew him. He knew about Abraham. He knew who he was. So he had knowledge. Uh, he had studied the scriptures or had been taught the scriptures, whatever. And then, the scripture, and then Jesus says, and he cried, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, he knew who he was. Have mercy, he knew what that was. So here we have a rich man who knew something, but obviously didn't do the right thing. Jesus is saying, that this rich man said, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, son, again, I think the rich man knew. Maybe he had a lifetime of knowing. If that's the case, here's an interesting point. If he was faring sumptuously every day, by Jewish law, he could not do that on the Sabbath day, but he was every day. The second thing is, is when he looked up and he called Abraham as his father, that tells me he was also a Jew. He knew who Abraham was. And then Abraham speaks to him and says, son, which means he was, he had knowledge, he knew, but yet he had done nothing about it. He says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. That may sound odd, Reading that, thinking, well, why, why would that be the way? Why would God set that? I don't know. You tell me why we've got jails and have bars and we lock it up and we can't let people go in and out. If we do it in our life, we ought to be able to understand why God has set forth certain standards and things. Then the rich man said, well, I beg you, Father, that you would send him to my father's house I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. We're going to go into this word very quickly here in a little bit. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Which actually that was an indictment against the rich man. The rich man knew who Moses was and knew who the prophets were. But obviously he didn't believe them. And he said, No, Father, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Let me cover a few things as I kind of cinch this down. The word usage here is extremely significant. 
When we look at the word, and I'll take them in order, tormented, it is not a, a lackadaisical word. What it means is pain. Now, it can be either bodily or mentally, but it means literally agony. To be in agony, to be distressed, to be degrieved. And what he says is, I am tormented in this flame, or I am in tormented state. Flame, easy word, fire. That's the only thing it means. Both in the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, doesn't matter what fire, just a blaze. But then the word I want to get to is persuaded. What the rich man was saying is, you know, send Lazarus back to my brothers. Because if someone comes from the dead, he can persuade them. And he said, no, if they, if they didn't believe Moses and they didn't believe the prophets, they're not going to be persuaded. What does persuade mean? Well, persuade means to convince, to persuade, influenced by persuasion, however you want to incite, in, you know, to lure or to try to induce, to convince, to get someone to believe that. Today we live in a culture where not many people are persuaded. We have the prophets, we have the scriptures, we even have testimony that there has been someone come from the dead. And yet, has it persuaded people to believe this? No. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus was getting at. Even when he came back from the dead, even when Jesus was resurrected, it still has not persuaded people to believe God. No, I, I, don't, I don't know. So the point is, is that as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, hell, Gehenna, is real. And if I believe in him, by extension, I'm going to believe. I've, I've actually chosen to believe that hell is real. Never seen it. I've suffered some of my own hell. I've suffered from the pain of having my nasal passages cauterized, and I thought that was the most awful thing I'd ever been through in my life. I didn't even know what the word cauterized meant. The doctor was trying to tell me, oh, this won't hurt, and he was a liar. I mean, it, it hurt. <laughs> I don't have a conception like Dante. I don't have a conception. I, I'm not an artist. I can't paint this various levels. All I know is Jesus tried to persuade people to accept this belief. And, and more importantly, he didn't come to send people there. He says, if you don't believe me, you're already condemned. He said, I came to save you from this place. And that's why Jesus then used, again, this word when he was talking, he said, My friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill just the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. I will show you who you need to fear, Jesus says. Fear him who, after you have been killed, has the power to cast you into hell slash Gehenna. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So to Jesus, 
It was very, very real. I don't have all the answers, but I believe him. Therefore, I believe by extension in Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom, place of burn, place of torment. At the very least, there was separation, there was pain, there was regret. We all know the fire of regret, however, but it was real, and he taught that. That's why I like what the old proverb says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So let me close with this last thing that I've just referenced. Jesus did not come to condemn us to the valley of Hinnom. He came to save us from it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. That's where victory in Jesus Christ is, is he gives us that way that we don't find ourselves as the rich man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time to be together as your people. We pray today, Lord, that the words that you have preserved for us would rest on us. May we, Lord, as we live our lives here, not aspire, Lord, to, to be perfect in everything because we know that we fail so miserably. But, Lord, may we, may we lift up and may we worship and follow our Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised to lead us out of the grave and away from that. As he told the thief at the thief's lying last breath, Today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, I, I pray we would honor you for that. Thank you for your blessings, and we'll give you thanks for all things. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close. We're going to sing this verse, and where we are, just let, actually the, the, the best commitment that you can make is in your heart, soul, and mind. And you can do that right where you are. You can come forward. I'll pray with you right here. We'll pray with you. But the main thing is the altar of your heart. Commit to the Lord. Believe Him. And you will not regret it. As we sing, Brother Ed, what page? In 412. The Savior is waiting to enter.